0: If you've ever tried to stop a behavior or change a habit and you just can't do it, no matter how bad you try and nothing works, this is the episode for you. Welcome to the Brain BS Podcast, the podcast where thought work, emotional intelligence, and universal law come together to empower women to master their brain BS so they can get what they really want out of life. I am your host Maureen Kafkis, a doctor of occupational therapy, a certified life coach and an expert on Brain BS. My mission is to inspire you to look within, push past your fears and understand that you alone are responsible for everything you create in your life. So sit back, fasten your seatbelts and let's get started on a journey of self-discovery that's going to lead you to where and who you truly want to be. Hello and welcome back to the Brain BS Podcast. Happy to be here this week. I'm feeling I'm feeling really good this week. I'm feeling really empowered. I am feeling amazing in my alcohol experiment. And this is day 18 of no alcohol. And um quite honestly, I'm really proud of myself. Like I can't believe I, I finally did it. It's I'm gonna throw something out there. It's it's really hard. Well, these are all this is all just brain BS, right? But it's really hard to push yourself to be the best version of yourself that you can be when you're not in so much pain that it almost doesn't give you a choice. When you feel like you're doing relatively well and you've actually learned a lot about yourself and you manage to change a lot of habits and a lot of behaviors, and you still just have like one or two things that you want to tweak. The pain isn't so much that it's actually not optional to do something about it. So you could look at this two ways. You could say, well, that's a, that's a beautiful thing that you're not in so much pain and that you should feel very grateful for that. And I, I am grateful for that. But then the other side of that coin is that it makes it harder to be inspired to change. So for me in this case, because I've talked to a lot of people about this, and their first thought is, well, it doesn't seem like you really drink that much. It doesn't really seem like it's a, a problem for you. But here's the thing. It's not how much you drink or how frequently you drink. It's all about your relationship with alcohol. The caveat here and what makes it a little bit different, the work that I'm doing now, is it's not based on AA's philosophy Of what your relationship is with alcohol. When we look at it from thought work. And we look at it through subconscious reprogramming. That relationship is actually optional. I can create whatever relationship I want with alcohol. And that's not something that I really understood before. I had been so conditioned from everything that I heard that AA has put out there and different groups that I thought, you know, well, it has to be all or nothing. And I've since then come to the conclusion that I don't buy into that. But before anybody gets all worked up, I do believe that that is the route for many people who are addicted to alcohol and not capable of participating in it at all. I 100% agree with that. So I am not saying there is not a wonderful place for AA and it's not super important and that it hasn't helped a ton of people. But I also think it puts off a lot of people because they think they they have to adhere to the rules and restrictions and the beliefs of AA. Um, So there's a whole world out there that's not buying into that. And those are the people I want to help. And I don't want to just help them, like when it comes to alcohol, I want to help them when it comes to cigarettes, um, if it's pot, I want to help them if it's that you just can't stop being critical and negative about people, or you can't stop beating the crap out of yourself, or you keep wanting to exercise, but you don't. It's really about creating a new relationship with old habits. That's my new line. I'm sticking to it. I love it. I feel it in my bones. I feel calm, centered, grounded. I am ready to go. I know I know exactly what I'm doing now. And I'm going to serve a lot of people. And I'm in the process of creating content and programs. And I am going to really help a lot of people. And in the process, I'm going to really help myself. I'm going to completely learn how to feel my feelings and not make them a problem. And, and part of that, the worst part, is like when urges come up, right? So this week in the Brain BS podcast, episode number 53, I'm calling it How to Manage Urges. Every human with a brain experiences the cognitive dissonance at some point when urges come up. And by cognitive dissonance, I mean a part of you wants it. And a part of you doesn't. You have an internal conflict about something. And when we're in that place, it is not good. I can tell you that firsthand. So let's um, let's jump into the three different ways that I believe you can respond to an urge. And those, those three ways correlate with three separate emotions. And I told you last week that I'm going to start bringing emotions into it more because it's a big, big piece of this. First, I'm going to define what an urge is. And then we'll explore how it plays out depending on how you choose to respond to it. I'll argue my case for why allowing the urge is really the only way to handle it when a craving shows up and why we need to rely on curiosity first and foremost when we do that. So the the three options I have for an urge are reacting to them, and that goes with uh, impulsive emotion, resisting them, and that comes with resistance, and then allowing them And I recommend curiosity with that one. So let's start with what is an urge? Well, I've heard it defined in multiple ways and with different language. They've been referred to as cravings, desires, compulsive need for something. But I think my favorite definition comes from Rachel Hart, who describes an urge as an intense emotion that intensely drives you to do something so your brain can be rewarded with a hit of dopamine and experience temporary pleasure. In terms of the alcohol experiment that I'm participating in this month, the dopamine hit would be a glass of wine for me. For you, it might be a piece of chocolate cake, a tasty edible, or a hit off that joint. There's usually what Rachel Hart calls a witching hour, and this refers to the time of day where you are most likely to experience urges based on your usual pattern of behavior. For example, I am a weekend drinker for the most part and I like to partake in happy hour and early evening drinking. Therefore, that is when I'm most likely to get an urge for a glass of wine and pretty much have no trouble refraining from it after the dinner hour. Our brains get used to us doing things certain ways at certain times and find it dangerous and threatening when we do not give them their anticipated reward. They will go to any lengths to try to get you to give them the cake, the chocolate, or the usual behavior because they think they're looking out for you and trying to keep you safe. The truth is they're just doing their jobs. They're here to scan the environment for danger and look for rewards for a job well done. So what to do with an urge? So as I mentioned earlier, we have three options when it comes to how we want to handle an urge. The two most common options Humans rely on or either react to it and give in, or we resist it and increase our suffering. The third option that's not usually utilized and becomes much easier once we get the hang of it is to rely on curiosity and allow the urge to be there. This is the only way for us to learn how our brains are working that an urge is just an emotion and it cannot make us partake in a behavior without our consent. But before we dig deeper into that, let's take a closer look at the first two options. So let's start with reacting to an urge. Okay, this is pretty much what we normally do if we're not aware or we're not trying to change a behavior. We get an urge for something, we say yes, and we do it. We don't understand that between the urge and our reacting to it is a thought that we had that triggered the reaction. For example, this could like, look like me seeing a piece of cake with a ton of frosting on it and I might think oh my god I must have it because I'm a major thought frosting person other thoughts might be I cannot resist frosting or I'm weak when it comes to frosting or perhaps it is screw it I've been so good I deserve to treat myself Another example would be when we are trying to learn how to be less judgmental and more generous in how we view others, and we come across a human that is testing our desire for change. I know you know what I'm talking about. Our thought might be, dear Lord, I cannot take this person for another second. It could also be, it's too hard to try to be good. Or maybe, I am not capable of changing, if it means putting up with someone like this. All of those thoughts will take us to a place of judgment and intolerance Because that is the result we created thinking that way. While participating in the alcohol experiment, I've had many urges to drink a glass of wine. So far, I've not given in to the urge because my thoughts are not aligned with that. My thoughts are aligned with refraining from alcohol for 30 days, no matter what. So that is the result I'm creating. At any point, my brain could offer me that this experiment is stupid And I'm fine the way I am. It might say, I've been good long enough, so go ahead. I'm just, go ahead, it's okay to just have one. If I choose to listen to those thoughts and have a glass of wine, I would be reacting to the urge. Now, before we move on to resistance, we need to understand the result of reacting to our urges. Every time we react to an urge and give into it, we reinforce that desire. We tell that brain, when you want this, I will give it to you, and we make that correlation stronger than ever. This is a reason why we might increase our behavior or consumption over time because we become less and less likely to not give in to the urges. It becomes a habitual pattern of our brains telling us what it wants and us pretty much being controlled by that. Obviously, this is not going to be conducive to stopping the behavior or reducing it without major discomfort and and effort on our part. So now this is interesting because I know you all know what I'm talking about here because we can spend decades, yes, we're all middle-aged now or most of us that are listening to this podcast, we can spend decades talking about doing something. Isn't it mind-boggling how long we can think about doing something? How many times we can tell ourselves we're gonna do it and then we don't, right? We just don't. Every time that we do that, every single time we make it stronger and stronger and less likely that we're going to change that behavior or stop it because it's become so strong and reinforced and habitual. All right, let's talk about resisting an urge now. When we talk about resisting an urge, we're talking about relying on willpower to not participate in a behavior or habitual pattern. A good example of this was when I first tried to stop smoking cigarettes in my early 20s. I started smoking as a teenager, and no, I'm not proud of that, but it's the truth, and I developed a regular habit before I even graduated from high school. I always had cognitive dissonance around the habit and knew at a deep level that I would not do it long term. I always had this thought that I had to quit smoking before I turned 30 or I would end up being a lifelong smoker. This is the thought my brain offered me, and I didn't know it at the time that many of my thoughts were brain BS or that this one was because it did end up serving me, but it didn't serve me as well, and I'll explain that. So, when I tried to stop smoking in my early 20s, my brain said, Wait just a minute, I thought we had until you turned 30 uh yep that's exactly what it did so I could still go periods of time without smoking and resisting the urge because I relied on sheer willpower but my thoughts weren't aligned with it and it doesn't and willpower doesn't last forever it just doesn't it just gives out and it's not there so that's why so many people give up and they start the habit again but because my thought was that I was determined it was okay to wait until 30 to stop I could only resist the urges for so long inevitably, I gave in and smoked the cigarettes because my thoughts were not aligned with my objective. The urges became stronger and I could no longer resist them. Now let's talk about allow uh, well let, before I move on to allowing an urge, can I just say how awful it is to resist an urge? It feels like it's a good thing to do, right? We always talk about discipline and honing our willpower and getting stronger. But when you really want something and you keep thinking you want it and you keep thinking you're not going to have it, it creates so much tension in your body, in your head, It could actually be in any part of your body. It happens like it's kind of crazy how urges and tension and resistance is different for everybody, but it's a really, really bad feeling when you're resisting something and that's why it's not sustainable. So let's talk about allowing an urge. So let's stay with the smoking cessation example because now we'll explain the difference between not responding to an urge based on willpower and how different the outcome is when we allow an urge and get curious about it. The only way we can allow an urge and not respond to it is if we cultivate self-awareness and change the way we are thinking first. If we want to create a change in our behavior, it always has to begin with a change in us first. So in this example, enough time went by that my previous thought that caused me to rely on resistance instead of allowance now worked in my favor. My original thought was if I do not stop smoking by 30, I'll become a lifelong smoker. Well, lo and behold, when I was 29, because as I said, you could talk about doing things for a very long time and not act on them, but I turned 29 on the verge of turning 30. So that thought started to serve me pretty well. I decided to make stopping smoking my New Year's resolution because I had success in the past with resolutions. That's another thought. And I also thought if I did not stop, then I never would, which of course is total brain BS, but I really believe these thoughts in my subconscious. So the underlying thoughts then were, I know how to achieve New Year's resolutions when I make them, and it's time to stop because I'm almost 30. Those thoughts triggered a feeling of determination and led me to never take a hit off a cigarette again. Yes, I had urges, but they were not nearly as strong as when I was resisting them. The result is I have not smoked for decades and do not miss it at all because my thoughts were aligned with my objective. There is absolutely no cognitive dissonance around the habit anymore and the desire has been completely eliminated. Okay. So let's dig a little deeper about how to handle an urge when we are allowing it to be there. The biggest difference from resisting is that we get curious about it. When we're resisting one, we desperately wish it was not there and we really want it to go away. We grit our teeth and we wait for the desire to drink or do whatever habit until it goes away and it feels like it takes forever. When we allow an urge... We take note of it. We distance ourselves from it. We describe how it feels in our body. We don't judge it or make it a problem. We don't get caught up in the drama of it being there, so we're able to breathe into it and process it much sooner than if we were to resist it. By getting curious and allowing our urges, we can stop judging ourselves and start thinking differently about the desires we have for our habit. Negative emotions tend to shut us down, while positive ones like curiosity inspire us to take action and keep moving forward toward our goal of changing our relationship with the habit. Now, I will share examples of how I reacted, resisted, and allowed urges all during the same dinner out at a restaurant last Saturday evening. I want to remind you here that the goal is not to be perfect. It's not even to abstain. It is about being able to be honest with ourselves so that we can learn how our brain is wired for our habit and develop a greater understanding of ourselves. If we do that, we can plan ahead for obstacles and decide in advance how we will handle it when we are most tempted to give in to the habit. Think of understanding your relationship with your habit as a case study and your brain is the subject. In order to illustrate how these different responses might play out, I'm going to talk about the urges I experienced last week in an order of when I experienced them. It began with me resisting urges and it started before we even left the house to go to the restaurant. I was already anticipating that I would want a glass of wine and that it would feel bad when I could not have one. I did not realize at the time that I was resisting the urge, but I now know that was why it kept getting stronger. I also should have known that it was an urge because I was having it before I even got into a situation where I would want to have a drink. So I seem to be having this anticipatory um, kind of urge thing going and feeling it in advance. And then by the time I actually go and get to the situation, I'm not even having an urge, which is kind of crazy. But that's how my brain works. At dinner, I found myself just wishing it would go away. It felt like a shield of armor encompassed my entire chest and abdomen. It felt like it was gray, fixed in place, and too rigid to even put a dent in. It made me feel constricted, less attentive to my husband, and consumed the way I was feeling internally. And I kind of felt flushed and hot. I think the resistance and the underlying thought that I wish I could have a glass of wine, it was what was making me feel so bad. Because not only was I resisting the urge, I was resisting reality. I wanted my reality to be different than it was. Eckhart Tolle says that's never going to work. I just want to point out here, because it's an important distinction, I didn't pay attention to the resistance in everything that I was feeling in the moment when I was resisting it. I I discovered that afterwards, and I'm telling you, At this point in the story, so that you have a better understanding of what resistance feels like in your body when you have it. We're going to talk about giving in to urges now. When I say I gave in to an urge at dinner, I wasn't talking about the wine. I did, however, indulge in two pieces of bread that I'm certain I would not have eaten had I ordered a glass of wine. But I wanted a dopamine hit of something to make me feel good because the resistance was so oppressive. I don't want to make a habit of doing that, but I'm okay with the fact that I did that because I did not drink and that was the number one priority for me this week. It's quite common though for people to replace one habit with another when trying to change a behavior so that's something to be aware of. Because you certainly don't want to start to feel like crap because you gained a lot of weight and not even enjoy the fact that you stopped drinking right this isn't substituting a habit for another habit to beat yourself up over all right then it was right after we ordered our food and i got my pomegranate lemonade that i started to realize i was resisting the urges instead of allowing them when i realized that i was able to breathe into the urges distance myself from the feelings associated with them and finally relax and start to enjoy my dinner My thoughts changed from I wish I could have a glass of wine to there's no effing way I'm having one. I also thought how proud I was of myself for even participating in the alcohol experiment. It was amazing how much better I felt when I chose different thoughts that served me and I acknowledged the resistance was there. Once I did that, I was able to allow the urges to be there and not make them a problem. I was able to process the urge and release it relatively soon and continue to choose thoughts that were aligned with the result i truly desired okay so to recap we have three choices when we feel an urge to participate in a habit we're trying to change or stop we can react to the urge but that will just make the desire for the habit become more intense when we resist the urge we rely on willpower but that makes urge stronger and is not sustainable long-term. Our third option is we can allow the urges to be there, get curious about them, and develop a greater understanding of how our brain reacts when we want to participate in a habitual behavior. This is the approach I recommend. When we choose curiosity over judgment and other negative emotions, we are much more likely to be successful in changing our relationship with the habit and developing a deeper understanding of ourselves. If you've heard enough and been trying to change a relationship with a habit and exhausted from fighting urges for way longer than you care to admit, maybe it's time for you to consider getting some help. The beautiful thing about my approach is that there is nothing threatening about it and you're not even required to totally, to totally stop the behavior. There's actually, there's no labeling either. There's no putting yourself in a category and there's no all or nothing thinking about it. So listen, I totally get you here. I know what it was like to be totally immersed in a drinking habit and completely unaware there was even a downside to it. That's how I spent my 20s and 30s. I used to be a heavy smoker and an overeater too and understand how powerful urges can be and how challenging it can be to change. Here's the thing though. It really is not that hard when you can learn to manage your mind. Yes, there will be discomfort, but nothing you cannot handle when you align your mind with your objectives. I can show you how to do that. Go to www.thebrainbs.com and sign up for a free 60-minute consult and start creating a new relationship with that old habit that is no longer serving you. I hope you learned something valuable here this week. See you next episode. If you like what you heard here today, I would really appreciate it if you would subscribe to the BrainBS podcast, do a quick review, give me five stars and share it with everyone you know. If you want to dig a little deeper, you can join me in my private Facebook group, The Brain BS Group, where I provide you with daily guidance and inspiration on how to manage your brain. If you've heard enough and you're ready to go all in with mastering your brain BS, you can sign up for a free consult at www.thebrainbs.com to see what it would be like to work with me and get all the details. Finally, if you don't remember anything else, remember this. The only thing standing between you and what you want is your brain BS.